That, of course, is a new recording by Travis Kelsey. He's still cranky. He's still, they won the Super Bowl. He's still enraged. No, it's Neil Young explaining why he doesn't like advertising. I think everybody's kind of implicated in advertising, though. I don't think Neil Young's existence has been independent of advertising. Uh, And as we will say a little bit later in the show, we live in an age where arguably everything is an ad network. Uh, But we'll get to that. Uh, We're going to begin by talking about uh, yesterday's Super Bowl commercials. Towards the end of the show, we will focus in on one such commercial, and that is the He Gets Us campaign, which is about Jesus. Um, But we'll begin, as we have done in other years, uh, by talking, as I say, about the Super Bowl commercials uh, from Sunday. We'll do this with Patrick Dugan, who has done uh, done this with us before, Executive Creative Director at Adams at Night in Avon. Uh, Suzanne Vranitsa uh, is Advertising Editor for The Wall Street Journal. They're both here with us. Uh, We'll get going. So, um, Suzanne Vranitsa, maybe we could begin with the kind of commercial that they didn't want to put on, that there's a sense that that the advertising industry is chastened and, and maybe even a little bit spooked by what, what happened to Bud Light uh, last year, uh, not so much at the Super Bowl, but a different kind of, uh, of advertisement. But maybe you could just remind people what that was all about, what happened. Sure. Obviously, um, over the last five years, we've seen a really huge uptick in companies that have sort of taken it upon themselves to sort of realize that, you know, ESG and and giving purpose, companies giving purpose, um, not just about selling products, but like, what are you doing for the overall world? What are you doing for the country? What are you doing for people in general? And so marketing has played a big role on that in, in this whole sort of push. And you've seen it across Super Bowl in the last five years, but you've seen it everywhere, right? You know, it's not just about Dove selling soap, but Dove is about how do we make girls' lives better, right? Like, so this idea of like how companies are not just about selling, but in fact, giving back to the country. Um, And what's happened is there became a glut of it. And then obviously some people got into some really major traps, specifically Bud Light, um, when they um, decided to do a campaign where they offended a lot of people by hiring somebody that people didn't agree with. Now, you could argue companies have always sort of had to dance this line, but this has been such a significant blow up that Bud's Light's sales dropped dramatically, but it really sent a wake up call to everybody on Madison Avenue and marketers in particular who were like, look, We have to be super careful because we're living in such divisive times in this country specifically um, that anything can be seen as controversial or even political. Advertisers have always stayed away from things that are political, but you and I and all your listeners know everything is political these days. So it's really put Madison Avenue creatives in a bind on how to sort of thread the needle, which seems to get harder and harder to do nowadays. So this year, you've definitely seen brands try to avoid anything that could have been seen as controversial. Yeah, we should just quickly say that the ad in question, as I understand it, ran on the TikTok uh, channel of um, an influencer who was a trans person, but had a very, very large following. You know, I think maybe a couple of million people on the following. Uh, You might have thought that uh, it wouldn't necessarily cross over. Uh, People wouldn't necessarily be aware of it, although Bud Light had actually done these kind of specialty cans uh, with that person's likeness on them. Uh, And by some metrics, Bud Light sales 
fell off 30% year to year uh, in, in some of the months afterwards, which is right. really, really super scary. So, Patrick, you know, with that point in mind, I'm assuming you agree with Suzanne that just edgy kind of wasn't on the menu last night. <laughs> right. Everyone was playing it fairly safe. Um, and I think Dove was probably the uh, the only advertiser that had any sort of, sort of uh, purpose-driven commercial last night. At least that I can think of, and and that was that was a pretty pretty good one. Body positivity, uh, not the best execution. It started off one way, and then kind of felt like they tacked on an ending to it. But um, that's the only purpose driven ad that I can think of from last night. Well, the other thing is, I mean, if you wanted to see something that was be a little bit edgy, um, there was a commercial featuring Cardi B, and we, I guess, the way I understand it, kind of wound up seeing half of the commercial. This was for uh, a cosmetic product that that kind of enlarges your lips, or at least enlarges the appearance of your lips. And they'd actually made a a pretty funny commercial, the second half of which was about men using the same product in places where it was not meant to be used. Uh, And I guess the NFL killed it. You can see it online. It's very funny. I I haven't even heard of that. No. So that wasn't a, a national ad in the game. And, and and keep in mind, at the end of the day, lots of companies, without getting into what they had approved, what they showed, the network, it has become standard practice in this business. Um, it's a PR game, right? So how do we get people to talk about our ads? Often you get companies that, you know, they're going to be risky with their ads. They may not even have the time, the money to buy an ad in the Super Bowl. Some do, some don't. But you know, think about you're talking about an ad that was rejected and it wasn't even in the game, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't on the national broadcast. So right. it gets them the publicity. So often you'll get companies that will come along and do things that are very risky. I mean, people were talking about it. So it's the job. They saved themselves $7 million. By not <laughs> well, good point. Uh, it didn't even really seem all that risky. But so there's a heavy reliance on celebrities, particularly celebrities who've been around for a while, celebrities we've come to know and love. Um, it's hard to run clips of these ads because they are so visual in nature. But Mr. Rays, we're going to skip down to A2. Let's hear a BMW ad featuring, well, you'll hear it right away, who it's featuring. Nice ride. It's the real deal. 100% electric. It's the real deal. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Enjoy your coffee. Careful talk. Thanks. Your dog's so cute. Mm, yeah. Ooh, so adorable. Yeah, wow. Yeah, right. We both know it's the man. Makes the clothes. You know, you look nice. Okay, we're done. I'm laughing again. But so, Patrick, this is a very funny ad. People like Christopher Walken, they kind of like him in reverse of his presentation in most of his movie roles where he's kind of a scary person. (laughs) Uh, And he's kind of turned that into comic fodder. He's an incredibly popular SNL host. He can just say more cowbell and people think it's funny. Um, The problem might be the service to the client here, whether or not it makes you want to go buy a BMW. Uh, Right, exactly. I think everyone's calling that the Christopher Walken ad, not the BMW ad. And everybody loves Christopher Walken, but it had barely any mention of the of the product in there. So, yeah, it's funny and entertaining. And who doesn't love Christopher Walken? But there were better uses of celebrities. 
You know, and, right. and yes, and Suzanne, with that in mind, one of the things I was struck by last night, and, and I'm sure there are ways of solving this problem by targeting specific demographics with specific celebrities uh, advertising products that the demographic wants. But, you know, we're more of a polyculture than a monoculture than we used to be. I mean, frankly, I've never seen suits. I don't know who those two guys are. Uh, I, you know, I had to look up who those guys are. Uh, you know, I've never seen Wednesday, uh, so I didn't know who she was at the end of the Abuela commercial. Um, but that's probably okay because yeah. the ads weren't for me anyway. Right. Well, so for commercials with celebrities, 40% of the commercials during last year's game, 40% of them had multiple celebrities, right? That's up six times from just 2010. And the reason they're doing it is it's pretty simple nowadays. So the game is actually not taking place last night. The game is about generating publicity in the week leading up to the game and after. The way you do that to offset the cost, you're talking they're spending tens of millions of dollars to do this. So to offset it, you need to figure out what the ROI is. If you put celebrities in your ad, what happens? More people will write about them. More people will talk about them. More publicity. That offsets the cost. Number two, the reason why it's up so significantly in the last five years is social media. These people, these celebrities... The more you put in, think about what you're getting. They are now the media company, right? So each one of them has a social following. So, for instance, uh, Bet MGM, right? Tom Brady tweeted out their teaser, right? <laughs> he has 3 million followers on X, formerly known as Twitter, right? So think about those eyeballs. Those are eyeballs that they didn't pay for, right? They didn't have to run an ad in front of them. But Again, those people clicked on it. Many of them clicked on it and watched the ad. So it ends up, the celebrity ends up taking such a big role in the ROI of these ads that there's no looking back. We've jumped the shark, but we're never going back because that's the game now. It's about how do I put as many celebrities to help leverage their their media firepower? It's not good enough that you're getting the over 100 million on Sunday. You're getting all of the other stuff that's happening on all the social media channels. I actually thought, Patrick, that one of the smart things a couple of commercials did was use the format of the commercial to actually label the celebrities. The T-Mobile ad, you know, was a, a series of audition tapes or, or, you know, fake audition tapes of people trying to get in, in a T-Mobile commercial. And they had a little, you know, just a little tag on each one saying uh, audition tape by Common or something like that. Right. So because right. so, like if you don't if you're not I mean, like I re- I'd recognize Laura Dern, but, you know, <laughs> Once I get very far outside my generation, it gets more complicated. They did the same thing with that completely incomprehensible Eminem ad. It starts with Dan Marino. I don't even know what point they're making. It's diamonds and the size of people who had failed at things. But they made it clear, made it sure you understood exactly, Patrick, who everybody was that you were looking at. Right, exactly. Well, what about the uh, Sarah V uh, commercial with Michael Sarah? That that uh, <laughs> that's built around built around him, and I thought was uh, one of the more clever uses of celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, Suzanne, there are so many tripwires out there. I I was a little bit surprised. I was pleased uh, as a a big fan of 30 Rock that uh, they did the Tina Fey ad that had Jane Krakowski and Jack McBrayer on it. 
But it, A, occurred to me, 30 Rock isn't like Seinfeld or something. It isn't something like everybody watched. And there has been this cultural reappraisal of 30 Rock uh, and yeah. this this kind of, you know, for want of a better word, run through the filter of wokeism appraisal where it's mean, it's mean to people who aren't like Tina Fey. It kind of looks down on people from sketchier backgrounds and things like that. There's a little bit of a risk even with something as anodyne and as acceptable as a, and mainstream as 30 Rock. Yeah. And you have to realize like we what we think is like, OK, well, we used to watch that show. All of these shows are are basically back again within younger generation. Right. Why? Why was Jennifer Aniston um, in one of the spots? Right. Friends is one of the most watched stream or most streamed shows now. And so is 30 Rock. So these things are having a life, a, re, a resurgence with the younger generation. So we might look at it as like, oh, look, it's nostalgia. They're going after all of us and us people that used to watch these shows. No, actually, they there's a renaissance for a lot of these old shows that are now sort of, you know, basically bread and butter and paying the bills for all the streamers out there that are running and capturing new audiences. So it becomes new again for all of those. So, Patrick, I think another point to this is you don't want people obsessing over, well, who were those two guys on the elevator? I don't recognize them, but they're apparently celebrities. You want to tell the story of a product. And I think you and I both liked this particular commercial, which I, I thought, without using, as far as I know, any, any celebrities, told the story of a product. This is A1, Mr. Ray's. We're making a big change to Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Adding a delicious layer of caramel. Yes! Yes! I love caramel! Yes! But we're only making a few of them. No! A few million. Yeah! Wait, are you still selling regular cups? Yup. Yeah! New Reese's Caramel Big Cup. Yes! This all takes place in this household of these very overexcitable people uh, and, and who are, like, smashing their heads against the wall. It also concludes on a moment of optimism, which includes the dog with a hula hoop, which sure. the dog with a hula hoop, you, you've got me. Um, but I, I mean, love that commercial. Yeah. Love it. Because it's like, that, it's, like, it's like the most entertaining press release ever. This is everything that the press release needs to say. And, and it's just laid out there in a very funny way. Yeah, and you don't see the, those sort of absurd commercials anymore. There were no celebrities. There's seven people, I think, in one room for no apparent reason. And every time you watch it, you're seeing something different. Someone's diving out a window, diving back in the window. Someone's sticking their head through a grandfather clock for some reason. Uh, I, I could watch that a hundred times. You know, Suzanne, that's a really interesting point too, which as as these things, as you pointed out, migrate over to YouTube or wherever. Th there's a you know, there's a rewatch factor. I mean, you really win even more if you put stuff in there that makes people think, you know, I think I'll watch it three more times to see if I missed anything. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about where you were watching this, nobody was going to pick up any of those cues within that commercial. Most people are watching Super Bowl and a party. Most people are the, the sound is down because they're all talking during the commercial break. So the, the ad battle takes place way before and the days and, and weeks after. And that's where people go to YouTube to see them all. And that's where they sort of really get their money's worth because you're really not paying attention. I mean, there are some people that will run that, you know, if you look at some of the ads, they'll put like little notes on their ads and, and, and have like the dialogue coming. Cause most people realize you're not watching the commercials at most of them during Super Bowl. Um, Suzanne, before we get back into some of the more funny ones, one of the thing, one of the ones that you liked, there were a couple of that pulled at your heartstrings uh, at one's heartstrings. 
I even actually was a little bit moved by the end of the Pfizer ad, which maybe indicates that I'm very easily manipulated. But I know you liked a Kia ad. I don't know if you can just give people a th- it's very visual, so we can't really play a clip. Sure. I think the reason I liked it is because there was so much light and funny and celebrity that this was different. And it's there's always one that pulls at the heartstring, and I think they did it really well. So it starts off with a, a dad watching his daughter at a competition ice skating, and there's an empty seat, and she looks up in the stands, and you can see she's very upset about there's an empty seat. So you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, her mother can't make it, or hopefully some, maybe something happened. And then, the, you know, that you see the father and the daughter post-competition driving through the mountains, obviously, in the Kia to get up to the mountains. And then suddenly they arrive at a cabin and there's this beautiful lake and it's iced over and he's got it all strung with lights. She does a little performance, clearly for somebody who's going to be watching. And what we find is her her grandfather in a wheelchair is with a nurse and I think it's a nurse and he's watching her and then he scribbles a ten on the foggy window for for his granddaughter um, definitely and I it's kind of like oh my goodness we all fell for it makes you sad but I think it was more powerful and this happens every once in a while and I think they read they read they got the memo they were really smart they realized that all these brands were going to play it safe. They knew lots of them were going to go for comedy and few. There's always a few that go for heartstrings this year. Very few. And I think that helped them stand out. Right. Because there wasn't there's usually sometimes there's a handful of them that do this. Last night, there was really like two, you know, Mm -hmm. if that. And I think they did it really well. Yeah, there was the one with the man with vision problems. Um, yeah. uh, that was maybe the other one. So, Patrick, I'm going to bring up something that's a little bit probably what gets talked about uh, in, in, the, in the break room where you work or something along these lines. But I think every year a lot of us, I think maybe including you, look at some of these ads and we think this is the elite opportunity to do an ad. And, you know, it's a $7 million ad this year. And, and why – why are mistakes made that are kind of they seem like kind of glaring mistakes? I mean, maybe the most obvious one was a Marty Scorsese directed commercial that actually had Marty Scorsese in it, where you really had to look very carefully to figure out what this was a commercial for, let alone having the commercial make any point related to the embrace of this product. And I just find myself thinking, weren't there meetings where somebody said, it's not clear, this is about Squarespace, we can't spend all this money doing this? I'm glad you pointed that one out, because yeah, that one, I I was getting messages from people uh, after that aired, and and they were all like, what what on earth was that for again? And uh, yeah, it didn't make much sense. But like you said, there's meetings, and um, you know, Unfortunately, sometimes there's too many meetings and uh, too many people involved. And it's a, you know, it's a big, expensive opportunity and months of months of planning and strategizing go into these things. And, you know, things are under a lot of scrutiny. People are under a lot of pressure. So it leads to some some poor decisions along the way if you're not careful. And, uh, you know, too many, too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes. And uh, you could see this in the Volkswagen one, which I wanted to be a lot better, but it seemed to be unveiling the the new microbus um, that's coming out, which is a pretty exciting product for for people who are fans of Volkswagen. But leading up to it was all this stuff about a the bug, which I don't believe they make anymore, and then uh, all these other Volkswagen models that kind of just watered it down and. Um, didn't really feel like it was really on target and and doing a great job of setting up the bus, which has, you know, a very storied, passionate history 
uh, just to that that one vehicle, but it felt like all the product managers wanted to to get themselves into that into that spot in some way. I, I just uh, jolted by that just because. You know, I mean, Volkswagen's history is kind of complicated, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, and, you know, an ad that goes way back in time with a kind of, you know, focus on, on immigration and stuff like that. I just thought, wow, they are just asking us to think about a lot of things that I'm guessing that they, you know, wouldn't really want us to think about. So, you know, Suzanne, a lot, there's a lot of talk about the Taylor Swift uh, effect of this year. But the, the reality is the Super Bowl has become incredibly popular with women over quite a long time. Uh, you know, uh, last as of last year, pre-Tay-Tay, women uh, and girls made up 46% of the NFL fan base. It's just not maybe the world that, that I grew up in. And, and I guess that also occasions something of a tilt in, in the commercials. Not not just this year, but for, for quite a few years before this, it, it does doesn't make sense just to have them be about guys pounding brewskis. No, I think, look, I mean, I, I'll blame the media a little bit here. Like, you know, all of a sudden, like Taylor's, you know, bringing fans to, to, to the NFL, like, or women. I, I think it, number one, I think that's sort of ridiculous. Is it bringing young girls that might have? Absolutely. They're going to taste it. They're going to watch. Maybe they stay. But there are tons of very, you know, women who are passionate about the NFL, right? I think 37% of viewers are women uh, for the regular season, you know, and almost half for for the Super Bowl, which has been a long time. So this idea, like there are brands that were going there because of Taylor, maybe they tailored some of their ads to that. Not really, like most years, if you look back, there was always ads for women on it, right? And in it leaned obviously more to men, but there was always brands that jumped in there in hopes like they would reach that women because it wasn't crowded. So it was smart for them to do it. If you were really woman, a women focused brand, you either debated to do the Oscars or do Super Bowl. If you had enough money, you usually do both. Um, so I do think there's a little bit of like, oh my God, now women are discovering Super Bowl. No, it's always been that way. And in fact, you know, even before women, you know, before it started to really get to that 50%, women were often, even if the men were the ones watching, are were still driving the purchase decisions in many households. So therefore, they were always part of this sort of creative firepower. But obviously, you know, for years, the Bud Lights of the world were definitely focused on young, you know, young boy, young men in college and sort of frat kind of commercials. And the same with auto. I would say those probably leaned back in, you know, 10 years ago more male and only sort of in the last decade have they went more female. So I do think like, yeah, there's a Taylor effect, but again, everything gets amplified because we all think, oh no, it's definitely going to, more women are joining. I think it's the younger generation, right? The younger kids that are her cult, they're going to, they're going to taste it. They're going to sample NFL a little bit more than they would have because she's there. Right. I mean, just, you know, for reference, I mean, before, even before Taylor Swift entered the fray, according to Nielsen, recent Super Bowls have logged higher female viewership than the Oscars, Grammys and Emmys combined. So yep. it's, it's a good place to put your money. So, Patrick, uh, let's talk about one more ad here. Uh, this was one, I think, kind of designed to appeal to everybody, uh, and but also designed to maybe invert some of the ideas about uh, about maleness. Uh, this is an ad for Duncan. Uh, it features... Uh, well, just J-Lo uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Tom Brady. Uh, they, the, the men are dressed in these ridiculous outfits. They've invaded J-Lo's recording space. Matt, uh, ben Affleck is trying to m- do a little sort of musical thing that might be, I guess, part of her upcoming album or something. Uh, let's hear a little bit of A3, Mr. Ray's. 
How do you like them donuts? I'm so sorry. You had to see it, but I forgive you. Lay us on the track. Are we gonna be on the album? We talked about this. Let's go. You're blinded by them pinstripes. Wrap it up. There goes Babe Ruth. Tom, you can stay. You remember when I told you I'd do anything for you? This is anything. Chill. They're naming a drink after us. So it's, well, go ahead, Patrick. Just give, give us your take. Oh, no, that was one of my favorites. And I think, you know, partially that's because I'm a Boston guy. And I think that's just locking down their their Boston demographic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think also, you know, J-Lo is the one in control of that whole narrative. J-Lo is the one who makes sense. The guys are idiots. Uh, and I think maybe to the point Suzanne was making, that might be a little bit more appealing to a female demographic. All right. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to thank Patrick Dugan, Executive Creative Director at Adams at Night uh, in Avon, for joining us. Suzanne will be back. We're going to talk a little bit about what happens when advertising starts to turn up on your streaming channels. For commercials. Don't need a dime. TV. I don't want to look. What I'll fill it. Cause I don't care. If my hair is gray. I'm just worried about the world today. My things Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing. Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal. For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging. Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Well, Gil Scott here, and the revolution may not be televised, but it might be streamed. That just wasn't around when you were writing this song. Suzanne Branita is still with us, advertising editor for the Wall Street Journal. So one change in the life of people who, who mainly stream content these days on premium channels that they already pay for is the possibility of encountering advertising that they didn't used to encounter. So maybe explain what's going on with that particular sea change. Well, there definitely is a sea change. So if you go back five years ago, there was so much hand-wringing going on on Madison Avenue. You had marketers who were really freaked out to say, I mean, to be perfectly honest, they were standing on stage. They were like really calling for the death of advertising. They were saying, we have to go into the experiential business and find them on the ground and do things 
you know, face to face and put more money here because what was happening is we were all running to these, you know, um, basically ad free streaming services like Netflix became so popular. And at the same time, if we were online, we were all downloading as quickly as we could ad blocker. So it was a real dilemma. Um, and if you basically fast forward five years and everything's basically been flipped on its head and there's more places to put your ads than there ever was because what's happened along the way is obviously, um, if you think about a business model, if you have one business model and you know these are all subscription models, it's great, but what's better than having one business model, you know, one revenue model and instead having two. So adding ads gives you the ability to have two revenue streams, will, which is always better than one. What's really driving this um, on top of that is when you look at the streaming companies, lots of them that came out, um, whether it's Disney or Peacock, you know, these businesses were intended to rescue these media companies who were really suffering a massive amount of cord cutting that was happening on network television and linear television. Um, but the problem is they're not profitable. So if you've got these, these streaming companies, they're not profitable and you're spending, you know, hand over fist to put content on them, you have to find a way to offset that and find revenue. Um, so there's where advertising comes into play. So we've seen basically almost all of them um, bow down and say, you know what, we're going to add ads to it, which has been really incredible um, sea change for the business. Yeah. And maybe we'll back up from that for just a second and say that, you know, one of the operative phrases uh, in recent years is, and I forget it was, who, who was who coined it, but everything is an ad network. And, and it's yeah. that sense that as you move through life, it's a little bit like Tom Cruise in Minority Report, where we see him supposedly in 2054 and he's walking through some public space. And there are these kind of animated billboard things in this space that are all addressing him by name, too. They retinally scanned him. They know his name is John Anderton. And he's walking by and they're talking to him about Nexus or, or, or Lexus <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and and it's not, you don't really have to wait till 2054, right? I mean, you just encounter a lot of advertising that's aimed right at you almost no matter what you're doing, unless you're off the grid. Yeah, we are. That I mean, it is today, whether you, people are realize it or not. And what's happened is there's an explosion. Um, you know, there's been all this sort of surveillance economy that grew up on the web where they were tracking all of your online behavior, you know, basically like with the sites you were on, putting together with dossiers about what you liked, what you bought and all that. And then what's happened is that, you know, data became the oil business on Madison Avenue. And lots of companies realized, oh, wait, I can be an ad company because I have data. And the biggest component of this was the retail companies, because everybody knows um, the retail companies, whether it's Walmart, whether it's, you know, Kroger's, whether it's Target, they have all realized, oh, advertising, hmm, Amazon can do it. Why can't we? So they're basically taking their data um, and building ad networks. So they all sell ads using the data that they collect from their customers. So you say, well, how do they have data? Well, you know, when you sign up for your little handy dandy cards that get you coupons and stuff and you put your app in and they have your phone number, they know what you're buying, they know your likes and dislikes and all of that um, builds an ad business. So some of them put the ads on the website, some of them sell the data, some of them um, put ads on the screens. Like, I mean, if Walmart's wall of televisions is an ad network, you go into the Walmart uh department with the televisions that's there's ads running there that people pay for um and again it's a wall of advertising so that's there's been explosion of companies looking to get into this business and what they're doing is following amazon's lead 
Yeah, and I think another interesting aspect of this is uh, millennials and Zoomers in particular are, are second screeners, right? If they own anything that could be called a television, they might be looking at that, but they're usually looking at something else that's in their hand. Um, that would allow them in a very sort of linear, simple way to mute the commercials when they come on the TV and then look at their phones for something that they find more interesting. But I think that arms race has already been lost, right? The stuff on their phones has them figured out pretty well. So looking away from the screen won't, in fact, spare them from advertising. No, advertising is everywhere. It's become ubiquitous. And, you know, when you think about now, you know, Amazon is the latest. They've just decided to add um, ads to Amazon Prime Video, which was sort of like almost one of the last holdouts. And you'd say to yourself, well, and meanwhile, that's the big, they're an ad juggernaut. Like they're the third largest um, digital ad seller behind Alphabet, which owns Google and Meta, which owns Facebook. Their ad business is huge. And you say to yourself, well, what do they need a couple of extra dollars for, right? Um, they, they basically are a trillion dollar market cap company. And what they've realized is, you know, if you think about Amazon, you know, they're spending so much money um, to put all this content on and you say to they say to themselves, well, we have to have a way to sort of offset that cost. And how do we do that by adding ads? Um, but they've run into trouble with it. So it's very interesting to see how these companies are all managing to to put the ads on there, because regardless of Super Bowl Sunday, everybody loves the ads. But that's, you know, that's a rarity. <laughs> Most people's biggest thing, they, you know, to do is complain about the ads that they take. Yeah, it's a change in the value proposition, too. I mean, Netflix was offered to us initially as a thing that just didn't have advertising. It was one of the uh, sort of fundamental assets uh, of Netflix. But were you surprised by the way that Amazon did this? I mean, Netflix essentially said, hey, there's bargain Netflix. You have to watch some ads, but it's cheaper. You know, Amazon Prime did the opposite thing. They said if you want to not see ads, you have to pay more. I think people don't like paying more as much as they like the possibility of a bargain experience that costs less. Yeah, definitely Amazon decided that you they were you had to opt out and then agree to pay more to get an ad-free experience. They definitely went different from all the rest. And it, you know what? It caused a tremendous amount of blowback. We talked to consumers about the move and they were all canceling Prime. Um, people who were like, you know what? I'll give it all up because they were just so angry how it was rolled out. Look, I, I don't think it's going to hurt <clears throat> Amazon's bottom line, given you know most people are not, the majority of people are not going to give up the ability to get their sort of deliveries, nor am I, at a moment's notice. But it caused a huge upswell of bad publicity for them. But if you think about it from an app perspective, it was actually the right approach for Amazon because unlike Netflix, who decided we're going to do it a different way and then said, hey, if you want to trade down, we have this option. You can get it cheaper. Now, there's been some downside for Netflix from that. I do think there would have been a revolt if they had done it and a bigger revolt than, than Amazon had suffered. But what it has caused for Netflix is the headache that they had to then build uh, the number of subscribers, which has been very slow. So it got out of the gate very slow and they've had to build it. And therefore for advertisers that really needed reach, right? When you're an advertiser, you want to reach lots of people. Netflix was, they were dying to be on Netflix and put their ads, but then the product comes out and guess what? There's not that many people that were subscribing. So you couldn't, as an advertiser, spend a lot of money there because it was a limited pool of people. If put too much money, then they would see the same ad over and over, which is something you don't want. It's growing now, better than it had been. It's seeing some real upswings in the last two quarters. So it'll get there. It's just going to be a longer process. And even Netflix has admitted like it's going to be it's going to take years for this to be really me me meaningful from an ad revenue perspective. Unlike Amazon, 
instant reach, right? Like everyone that subscribes to Prime now will get ads on this thing. So that's ability for an advertiser to go in and spend a ton of money because they have the reach. They have the millions. You know, I want to just uh, jump on one thing that you said there, which is that nobody wants to see the same ad over and over again. That has been a problem a little bit, just even my own anecdotal experience. I've had the experience sometimes of even seeing the same ad twice back to back, which is something that back in the days of, you know, conventional linear network television would never happen. So is there a reason or is there or alternatively, is there anything they're going to do about that? So you're not alone. And in fact, sometimes you will see the same ad in the same pod or the same ad through the whole broadcast and you want to kill yourself. And advertisers don't want that, right? Because you never want to annoy the customer because then you're going to have every time you look at an, a, a company name, you're going to remember being annoyed by that ad. So what's happening here is technology. Technology has not kept up with what the needs of the consumer is. So think about old linear television. That was a person's job, right? To basically come up with a formula and slot the ads into the ad breaks. And there was all these rules, right? You couldn't have two ads that competed against each other. Like the auto guys would have, you know, something in their contract that says, please don't run an ad in the same pod as this rival. And 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 they may have paid more, but they definitely would try and keep that away. So it was definitely more manual. So now fast forward to the streaming. The difference here is when you talk, when you're talking about a streaming platform owned by a media company, it's sold digitally, right? So it's sold auto through automated processes and through the computer. So it's not somebody calling their rep and getting it done. A little bit of the human work is taken out. They actually do, are not. The streamers are not, not all of them are in control of all of their inventory. So because it's digital, they they give out inventory and other third parties, ad tech companies, sell it. So you can buy an ad that appears on a streaming through multiple players in, in the ad ecosystem. And therefore, the systems by which you're coming in as an advertiser, they don't all talk to each other. So often they don't realize like, oh, this ad was booked through this one and it's going to be you know, the advertisers already did a program with the streamer directly. And so therefore, that's a problem because there's no there's no way that the technologies are talking to them this right now. So long story short, they are working on this. They know it's a real issue. They thought they were going to get away with it for a while. And the uproar has been pretty consistent. I don't think it's a consumer uproar that's making them change or try and fix this problem. But what it is coming from is the advertisers because the advertisers realize that it's hurting their brand reputation right like even mm. subconsciously i'm sure you can think of the ad that you're talking about right now i know for me there was a, pet, a cat food brand that did it to me for a while and i i literally wanted to send a note to the network saying i don't even own a cat the whole <laughs> promise to advertisers is that streaming is going to let you target you're targeting me with an ad 15 times in the same program and guess what? I don't even own a cat. So they're aware of it, but it's the advertisers that are now pressuring to make this better. So hopefully it's going to take some time. Like this, this business is still in its infancy um, and, and the technology hurdles are pretty significant right now. But once the advertisers start to push back, you'll see how quickly they fix it because it'll it'll hit their bottom line if they don't. Right. If only there was someone who gets us. Well, actually, we're going to talk about that in the final segment. But thanks to Suzanne Vernitza, uh, advertising editor for The Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Who gets us? Who gets that we don't want to see cat food ads over and over? Jesus.
When we think of slavery in the U.S., we don't usually think of Connecticut, but slavery happened here. The probate inventory mentions three cows, two barns, one enslaved Negro woman, and one Indian boy. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. All episodes of The Colin McEnroe Show are available 24-7 at ctpublic.org slash Colin, which is also where you can sign up for our delightful free fortnightly newsletter, The Newsletter. You can listen to any episode on any podcast app. Have a question or comment? Email us at colinshow at ctpublic.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks, Sabrina. And today's technical producer is the maestro, Dylan Reyes. Uh, the senior producer of The Colin McEnroe Show is Lily Tyson, and she has produced this particular episode. Joining us for our final segment today is Bob Spintina, uh, national reporter for Religion News Service and author of Reorganized Religion, The Reshaping of the American Church and Why It Matters. Uh, the reason is he, he's here is mainly because of the He Gets Us commercials, which were back at this weekend's Super Bowl. So first of all, Bob, welcome to our conversation. Glad to be here. So one of the things that you've dug into, we can't really play a clip because <laughs> there's just music. Uh, this year's commercial featured a lot of scenes of people who often would seem to maybe have interests that were pitted against one another, uh, and one person would be washing the other person's feet, or I think maybe in one instance they were both sharing a foot bath or something. Uh, and then at the end it said, Jesus, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. Um there was another Love Your Neighbor uh, ad. So let's talk a little bit about these. What? First of all, you've kind of dug into who's making these ads. It's not really clear from the ads where the money comes from, what the organization is behind it. What, what did you find out? So this is basically a, a billion-dollar campaign from pretty well-off evangelical families, uh, primarily the Green family, the folks who own Hobby Lobby. Um, they've been running this for about a year and a half. They, they really want to it's an attempt to change the kind of public image of Jesus. I think they know that Christians like them have a really bad public image and that's caught up in culture war politics. And they, they'd like to change that image. And so they're running these ads that focus on sort of the teaching of Jesus. Of course, the minute, and obviously he gets us is there's kind of a vernacular quality to that. It's not something that you would necessarily hear in a formal discussion of religion. So right away there's a friendliness to it. But another thing that's almost anticipatable is that no matter what you do, you're going to annoy people. Uh, the ads, uh, particularly this year in their in the inclusiveness, so you're seeing a lot of different kinds of people from different lifestyles, different uh, orientations. Uh, right away, all you had to do is go on a very conservative X account, like maybe Charlie uh, Kirk, or uh, there's a guy, Tom Buck, I think, who you cited. And and they're mad <laughs> because it's it's really too, uh, too exciting accepting too accepting of too many different things yeah there's there's it's i mean this is like a i don't know a rorschach test of american life this, this is a kind of very conservative people who think this is too liberal we're in, too inclusive and there are the more progressive folks who either don't like the funder or think well you could have used this money for something else so they have really they've hit a couple nerves yeah and i think you know I mean, it sort of uh, goes back to the conversation we've had in some of the other segments of the show. These 
Uh, obviously, when you're buying a Super Bowl ad and you're spending $7 million, um, you're, you're going for a very broad reach there. You're trying to encounter a lot of, pe- lot of different people. You're also hoping that the ad will be repurposed and played on YouTube and uh, in other settings. You can reach out to even more people. And, and I suppose the people who do it, we don't really know, Bob, but I suppose the people who do it just think, yeah, some people are not going to like it. But the point is... Not that. The point is maybe we're going to reach some people who were turned off to Jesus and, and might not be suddenly. Yeah, and I think that, so that's one part of it. One part of the, the group is this group, when I've talked to them, they want to reach people who are turned off Jesus. I think the other part is to give a nudge to their co-religionists to say, maybe we should get back to these kinds of things. And, and not, not poke them too hard, but they're trying to poke them a bit. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, not to get all exegetical about this, but um, you know, in the Bible, what Jesus does in the Bible is he washes washes the feet of the disciples at the Last Supper, and the entire point of that, and and the Gospels, and uh, you know, the other books of the New Testament are pretty clear about this is a kind of inversion of power. I mean, he's the Lord, and he's washing the feet of the people who kind of, quote-unquote, work for him. Um, I was thinking about that and thinking about the people who pay for these ads, because <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how they see their role in society. Well, that's interesting. So there's a couple of things. What you see really here is the kind of evangelical religious ambitions of these folks who want to tell everybody about Jesus and want to live these things out and really, you know, this is really important to them. And their political ambitions, which we see in other parts, right, to, um, to influence politics, to influence kind of laws in the world. And these two things are colliding uh, in these ads because they know they have this, this kind of brand problem, right? They have this thing they really love, this the most important thing, but they have these other ambitions as well. And they are colliding head on in the kind of reaction to these ads. So let's talk about this in a way that kind of backtracks to your book, too. Typically, in the past, you know, not that there haven't been religious ads in the past, because there have, um, uh, and, and there have been billboards and there have been all kinds of things. Yes. But most of the messaging about religion that people got, they got from their congregations, from the place that they went to church on Sunday before the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and in some ways, I assume these ads are filling a vacuum created by declining church, church attendance. Yeah, they're filling that vacuum. They're also filling the kind of, um, yeah, I think they're trying to, they're almost like pre-advertising. So before you might even think go to church, they would might want they would want people to hear these ads to think, well, maybe religion is a good thing. So the old ads, like the, the one of the most famous is the family that stays, prays together, stays together. It was put out by a Catholic group. Well, praying when that came out in the 40s was probably seen as a, it's not a universal good, something that was good. And now I think praying and religion are much more suspect. And so they're trying to, I think, get at least people to rethink that maybe these things might be worth paying attention to. Yeah. You know, the other thing is it's dropped into a moment in society where obviously we're very divided. Uh, last year's Love Your Enemies ads showed all these people kind of twisted in rage in public uh, situations on subways or at, you know, take out, take out counters and stuff like that. Uh, and it was cl- clearly built on, I think, the residual anger that we saw over COVID lockdowns, over Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. o- over maybe January 6th as well. Um, this year, rather than showing us the rage, they're 
showing kind of the healing activities. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's any accident that these things are cropping up, that the healing activities are being shown in the context of 2024, which is going to be probably another fairly angry year. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. And so this maybe you could go with me for a second here. They're, I think they're also trying to say that maybe there's something better than what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you see the Grammys where Luke Holmes and Tracy Chapman are singing Fast Car? And almost everyone in America is like, this is the most beautiful thing. What a lovely thing here. I think they're a little bit trying to do something like what that, that thing did, which is give people something enjoyable or interesting or like, hey, this might be nicer than what you have right now. I think that's part of it. See, look, there's people washing each other's feet. Isn't this lovely? We could do this instead. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And I think the analogy you're making is is also spot on, particularly because we've started to train ourselves in this highly segmented society where people see their interests as pitted at odds with, with other people's interests. And, and Fast Car is a great example. I mean, Tracy Chapman, a, a black performer, uh, debuted that in the 1980s uh, and was clearly a song about the black working class and about the, the diminishing opportunities for them. And then Luke Combs d- does a cover of it where he sings it word for word and for note. I mean, the person singing the song is clearly a woman. He's, he doesn't change pronouns or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a very, very faithful, but, you know, white country guy, <laughs> faithful version of this song. And I think a lot of people's first instinct was to say, well, that's not fair to fill in the blank, you know, but not fair to Tracy Chapman. He's appropriating her song or or, or whatever. And what you're saying is, yes, when, when they did it together at the Grammys, a lot, a lot of the air of that kind of argument leaked out. And the, the hope is with these ads, with a cop watching, wash, watching, uh, washing the feet of a BLM protester, th- there'll be a kind of similar reduction in the steam pressure. Yeah, that's, that one of those images of someone outside of a, what looks like a family planning clinic, so probably an abor- a, a, a clinic of abortions, looks like a protester washing a young woman's feet, which is, you know, this, that's pretty, uh, again, a, a very hot topic. And I think you're right. I think they are, are trying to say, look, here's something that might be better, Yeah, that you don't really have to hate the other person, that perhaps if you didn't hate them, you might find a lot in common. Right. I mean, good luck with that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it's a noble effort. Uh, Bob Smitna is a national reporter for Religion uh, News Service and the author of Reorganized Religion, The Reshaping of the American Church and Why It Matters. Thanks to him. Thanks to Dylan. Thanks to Lily. Thanks to you. <laughs>